Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. So today we begin a series about your family and my family, because everybody has an imperfect family, right? And there's probably nothing that... Uh, encapsulates an imperfect family like the classic family photo session. We've all been there. You know, you're trying to get the, the picture just right. You're ready. You got your clothes ready. You got the site ready. You've got the photographer ready. And you're ready to start snapping. And then the kids get grumpy. And the husband gets grumpy. Right, ladies? And nothing seems to go right. And, uh, you know... This picture right here kind of gives an idea of what that, those days are like, you know. That, that, that's a perfect example of, of an imperfect family. Let's look at the next picture. If, if, if you have a weak stomach, just turn away. It's okay. Uh, turn away from the next picture, too. Now, I want you to notice something. This, this, this poor family right here, this is, this is them in this picture. And this little guy on the bottom right, watch him in the next picture at the bottom right. He's done. <laughs> He's just done. And, and I feel his pain. Any other men just wanted to lay on the floor after a family photo session like that. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our imperfect family. And we're going to be talking about how we can get real about the health of our home. And so today, we're going to start... With this, today we're going to talk about four important facts for imperfect families. Four important facts for imperfect families, okay? The first thing I want you to know is that appearances are deceiving. Appearances are deceiving, okay? Exhibit A, look at this picture. Okay, these are my three kids. This is Trent, Jaden, and Brock. This was in 2015. Trent was a junior, Jaden was an eighth grader, and Brock was a sixth grader. And you might look at that picture and see three smiling faces, arms around each other, and think, man, what a perfect family in front of some perfect, beautiful spring azaleas. But can I tell you that Moments before, I'm probably seconds before that picture was taken, we were all fussing and scratching and yelling. We had had a rough day that day. As a family, it was, it was spring break day. We had gone over to George L. Smith Park over near Metter, and we had, we had done a little hiking, and we had done some kayaking that wasn't very successful, and we had tried to play some, some baseball or softball, which with five people is not you know, very fun. And, and the three teenagers were just scratching and after each other. It, it was just, 
It was just one of those days. You ever been there with your teenagers? You know what I'm talking about? And they're just aggravating each other. They're aggravating us. We can't, t- I mean, it was just one of those days. And we're piling up in the van and we're about to call it a day. And I see these beautiful azaleas right there while we part. I said, everybody get out. Act like you love one another. Put your arms around each other. I want a picture to remember today. And especially those beautiful azaleas. And so we got that picture. And that's what I remember when I see that picture. That that picture is very deceiving because moments before that, those three kids were about to kill each other. So let me ask you, does anybody else have a story like that? Anybody? Oh, everybody's nodding their heads because we've tried to take these pictures for Christmas and we've tried to take them in, in family photo sessions when we go to, to Sears or JCPenney back when they actually had those, those dinosaurs and you could go in and, and, and get your picture taken. But the thing that we probably do... Why do we do this to our kids the first day of school? Get out there in front of the house and act happy. They're not happy. They're going back to school. You know? Teachers, I know how y'all are. Y'all don't want to go back to school. And you go back a week before them. Imagine if your, your husband or your wife or your kids said, Hey, Mom, Dad, before you go back to school this morning, a week before everybody else, go out there and stand in front of the house at 7 o'clock and put a big smile on your face. <laughs> Appearances are deceiving. And while the picture may turn out great, the moment is anything but. Now, this idea of, a, of appearances being deceiving is definitely biblical. There's a story in 1 Samuel where Saul has been removed as king and Samuel the prophet and the last judge has been appointed to go and find the next king and he shows up at the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and he walks up and, and, and he, God has told him to go to this house to find the next king. And your Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 6 that when they arrived... Samuel saw Eliab, tall, good-looking, strong, the oldest of the clan, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. God, this has got to be the next man in line for the king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his what? Appearance. Or on the height of his stature. And as a short person, I say, hallelujah. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God says in this, the very same thing we're saying in this first point, appearances are deceiving. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. The proverb backs this up, ladies, where it says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Appearances are deceiving. That that woman that you compare yourself to on the front of the magazine or that you work with or you see that seems to have it all together, the scripture says appearances are deceiving and charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But the word says what really matters is a woman or a man who fears God. Amen? Number one, appearances are deceiving. Number two, comparison is defeating. How many of you ever compared your life, your wife, your husband, your kids, your car, your house, your vacation, your grocery cart to somebody else's? 
Just me and now here we go. Okay. Guilty as charged, right? We've all done that. We've all played the comparison game before. We play the comparison game at school. We play it on the job. We play it at Walmart. We play it at the ball field. And we think they've got a better car than I do. They've got nicer clothes than I do. I'm going through Kroger. They have more groceries than I do. They're going on a better vacation. Their children are more obedient than mine. That kid has a $300 ball glove and a $500 bat. And all three of my kids are in rec ball at the same time. And we're digging through the bottom of of the box at Walmart just to find the Rawlings glove. Anybody know what I'm talking about? To have multiple kids in rec ball. And you're just like, God help us through this season. And help me to stay sanctified, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Appearances are deceiving. And all of that was before we got this handy dandy item. So now we have the luxury of getting home every night, sitting on our couch, and we don't even have to be at Walmart at the ball field. We can just sit here and compare ourselves with everybody else. Are you are are you ready to come to the altar yet? Anybody? We, we just scroll and scroll and compare and, and, and go through that. And here's the thing. We compare our miserable moments to their highlight reel. See, we just had a fight with our spouse. We see all the dishes in the sink. We see how it's been a rough day. And, and here's somebody in the neighborhood just showing, about, showing off about how they just re, redid their kitchen. You're like, man, my life just stinks. And all we're doing is comparing ourselves to somebody else. Nobody's life is as good as it looks on Instagram and Facebook. It just isn't. And we know that, but we don't know that. We don't practice that. That still is something we fight with. Comparison is defeating. Because every time you play the comparison game, you lose. It doesn't matter which way you play it. If you play it and you think, man, I got it a lot better than them. You lose because of pride. If you look at somebody else and you say, man, I I wish I had what they do. You lose because you're not grateful for what God has blessed you with. Every time that you compare yourself to somebody else's situation, you're defeated. It's illogical to do that. It's irrational to do that. And more than anything else, it's ignorant to do that. Now, I don't mean ignorant in the way that we would use it sometimes as stupid. But the true definition of ignorant is uninformed or unaware Because the fact is when we compare our imperfect family to the family we think that's perfect, we're not aware of what goes on behind closed doors. When we think about all that they've got, we don't know how hard they work to get that. Or perhaps that there was an inheritance that somebody gave them and, and that's how they got all that stuff. Or we don't understand that maybe the reason why they're the way they are is because they weren't raised with a mom and dad that, that cared anything about them. Maybe they've been in poverty for decades because of a situation in their family that keeps cycling over and over and over. And so we compare ourselves, but at the end of the day, we're defeated when we do that. We don't know their history. We don't know the story. And they may have it together and look like they've got it together because of circumstances we don't know about. Or they may just be great actors, which is many times the case. Theodore Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy. Let that settle for a moment. Comparison is the thief of joy. Somebody said this, every minute you spend wishing 
you had someone else's life is a minute you spend wasting yours. Somebody else said this, comparison is not only a thief of joy, it's the thief of gratitude. That picture was taken a few years ago. Some of y'all remember we did a series called No Way Out. We were talking about temptation and I found myself tempted on vacation in front of Krispy Kreme. And I was like, hey, I'm watching you. You watching me? (laughs) Comparison is the thief of gratitude too. Because when you're always comparing yourself to somebody else, you're not thankful for what you have. Can I get a better amen? You're defeated, you're discouraged, and you're down. But when I think about what God's done for me, James said, every good gift. Somebody say every. Every Every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing we have is from God. And sometimes we, we don't appreciate all that we have because we're playing this comparison game. With our imperfect family and the family down the street we think is perfect. A moment ago I showed you these pictures of this family. I I, I told you that this was the same family in this picture and in the next picture. And uh, and, and I found these pictures from a blog where the mom, the blonde-headed mom, planned this, um, this incredible photo shoot. And she has multiple kids and she said, I had the crazy bright idea of inviting my my in-laws and my brother and sister and their kids, and it just became this, this disaster. And she said, I was so discouraged about how, how terrible the day went, and it, nothing went like we thought it would go. And she said, when I got the pictures in the email from my photographer, my photographer said this, you all have so much to be thankful for. Look at your beautiful family. I hope you can look back at this one day and laugh about how full your lives are. This church, and I, I know many of your stories and your lives, our lives are full, y'all. Our lives are full, y'all. We're blessed. And you know how we get empty? It's when we play the comparison game. It's defeating. And it happens to the best of us. It happened to the Apostle Peter. Right before Jesus released him to start the church. We told the story a few years ago about the the first breakfast. We know the last supper, but a couple years ago I told you the story about the first breakfast. When in John chapter 21, Jesus reinstates Peter and he has a conversation with Peter. Remember this, after his resurrection on the beach, the disciples show up, Jesus has made them breakfast. And he looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? Three times. And he says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And the very last thing Peter said, Jesus says to Peter in that dialogue, it says, then Jesus told him, what? Follow me. Okay. I want to make sure you're with me, Peter. Follow me. Then Peter Y'all, he's got an audience, a one-on-one audience with the resurrected Jesus. And he turns around and says, hey, what about John? Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the Last Supper. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? How many times have you done that 
What about them, Lord? And Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What's it to you? Is what Jesus said to Peter. Peter, stay focused. Right, watch it. He brings it back to what he said at the beginning. As for you, don't worry about him. Follow me. Because Peter, you have a problem following. You tend to get distracted in big moments. And I'm about to let you loose. And let something loose on you that's going to turn everything upside down. The Holy Spirit. I'm built, your name is Peter. We changed your name from Simon to be Peter. Because on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I believe in you, Peter. But you can't do what I'm calling you to do. If you're comparing yourself to everybody else. And wondering about who's over your shoulder. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. You will miss your mission and what God has, has gifted and blessed you to do if you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. Amen? Paul said it like this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Or am I trying to please... If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. We live for an audience of one. We have only one person that we have to, have to answer to, and that is God the Father. Amen? And understanding that can actually be very freeing and liberating. So appearances are deceiving. Comparison is defeating. Imperfection, number three, is biblical. Imperfection is biblical. Genesis chapter 3, the story of the first family goes like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Right there was, was the first lie that was ever spoken. Because God did not say you can't touch it. But now Eve's already got it discombobulated. He said we can't eat, and he said we can't touch it. And then the serpent says, you will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, watch this, who was with her, and he ate it. Let's get off Eve's back, everybody. Adam was standing right there. Your Bible says it. He was standing right there. He was with her and he ate some too. Talk about imperfection. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. They realized they were imperfect. They realized their sin. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Imperfection is biblical. The first family was perfect and then they opened the door for imperfection with their disobedience. Romans 3.23 says, For how many? All. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Anybody say, hey, that's kind of my life verse. That's me. That's, that's, that's all of us, right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, if you don't believe that's true, let's play a little game this morning, okay? Let's have a little TikTok challenge, okay? This morning, all right. If you don't know what TikTok is, it's it's uh, an app that's destroying the minds of our youth today. We're gonna do a, a TikTok challenge this morning that that's not 
uh, not destructive. It, it doesn't require us going and tearing up the bathrooms before we leave. Everybody play along. The 10-finger TikTok challenge. Some of y'all seen this, right? Y'all going to play? Come on. Come on. Wake up. Get them fingers going, okay? Now, every time I say something that disqualifies you, you got to take down a finger, okay? Here we go. Take down one finger if you've ever lied to a family member. Take down a finger if you've ever been spanked or put in time out. If you've ever purposely embarrassed a sibling, child, or parent. If you've ever raced a family member to ride shotgun in the car. If you've ever cheated on a game with your family. If your mom ever said you were the reason for her gray hair. If you've stolen a family member's charger or headphones. My whole family needs to be right here. The three kids, not Tressa. I won't throw her in there. If you ate somebody else's food in the fridge. Now I'm going to get down there because I ate some of of Josh's pomegranates a few months ago in the fridge at the office. If you went to bed angry with your spouse. If you had an argument on the way to church. Anybody still have all ten fingers up? No, no way. Put your hands down. We are all imperfect. Imperfection is biblical. Nobody's perfect. No family is perfect. We're all in the same boat. So what do we do with our imperfections? The writer of Hebrews said this, and we spent a month unpacking this in November. But he says, we have a high priest who empathizes with our weakness. He was tempted in every way but did not sin. So we are sinners, the writer says. So since we're imperfect Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, even though we're imperfect. Y'all, that's good news for us today. Amen? So that we may receive what? Anybody ever need mercy? All day, every day. Anybody ever need grace? All day, every day. Anybody ever have a time of need? So the... The writer of Hebrews is telling us, y'all, with our imperfections, with us just seeing all these things that we don't do right, he says, bring all that where? Into the very open presence of God. That when Jesus hung his head, took his last breath, the scripture says that the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. I believe that represented God the Father reached over the balconies of time and ripped it into giving all of us with our sin and imperfections access to the very presence of God that as the writer said, we may receive mercy, find grace, and help us in our time of need. That's good news, y'all. Appearances are deceiving. Comparison is defeating. Imperfection is biblical. And as you guys give me some background music, I want to tell you the last one. Stability is critical. Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with a parable that when you think about it in context, it's so powerful because after everything he said, everything he unpacked from the Beatitudes to the plank in your eye to adultery to how you treat your neighbor, he finishes it up with these words. Therefore, Everyone who hears this Sermon on the Mount and puts it into practice is like a what kind of man? A wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rains came. Streams rose. The winds blew. In Douglas, Georgia, the fire came and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. This morning in Douglas, Georgia, there's a church that doesn't have a church, but they're still the church. They're together worshiping this morning because they built on a rock. And if they were dependent just upon the building, then everybody would go, go home. But I'm going to tell you today, that church will have church today. They have so much to be thankful for. Why? Because they built their house on the rock. Everybody say, but. Jesus says, but. Everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. They're not wise but they're foolish, like the man who built his house on sand. The rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Stability is crucial. Jesus had already said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5:45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous the rain the storms the fire the streams are inevitable they come to every family they come to every situation and when it blows and comes in whether you're left standing Jesus says it's totally dependent dependent upon stability stability is critical what are you and what have you built your life upon remember Jesus said whoever hears these words is like and puts them into practice is like a wise man so it's not enough to hear the word you got to put it into practice James said, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. We hear a lot of word, amen? But when we put it into practice, we're putting bedrock underneath our feet. Stability is crucial. See, we're imperfect. We, we can't do anything about that. We were, we were born into a broken, sinful world. But what we can do something about is how we build the foundation of our home and what we build on. Stability is crucial. Anybody else just sitting here right now and thinking, we just sang a song about that. Anybody just put those dots together? So get this. This tells you how good God is and how powerful the Holy Spirit is when we pray and seek His direction. We didn't have a conversation at all. He didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where he was going. Only thing he knew, Evan, who planned the worship set, was he just knew the title of the series, if he looked at it. I don't even know if he did or not. When he came in this morning, I said, hey, man, so I'll tell you something that's pretty cool. My last point of the message is stability is critical. And I'm going to read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 that that song that you're going to sing this morning, Firm Foundation, came from. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Looks like those 21 days of fasting and prayer is already working. That's the Holy Spirit, y'all. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the Holy Spirit is saying something to us today. He wanted us to sing it. He wanted us to hear it in His Word. And you better believe we're about to sing it again here in just a second to finish up. Stability is crucial. I can't do anything about the imperfections. There's a lot of things that I can't control in this life, but I can control this. Christ is my firm foundation. Look at this. The rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Anybody say He's never let me down? He's faithful through generations. So why would He fail now? I love the response that we sing to that lyric. He won't. At the very end of the book of Joshua, Joshua said, If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you'll serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites and who the land you now live? Do you prefer to build on sand? Or, as I pass from this life to the next, and you fulfill the promise, we read about this last month, of taking the land, he says, what are you going to do to the people of Israel? And on his deathbed, Joshua declares a man faithful to God. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to build on bedrock. Somebody say that with me. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. One more time, watch it. Appearances are deceiving. Comparison is defeating. Imperfection is biblical. And stability is crucial. Here's what I want to leave you with. Watch this. My family may not be perfect, but my foundation is. My family may not be perfect, but oh, hallelujah, my foundation is. Will you give God praise for that today as you stand to your feet? Father, we praise you today. Come on, hands uplifted right now. Somebody give God praise for what you're hearing and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as a church right now. God, we lift our hands and we thank you that even in our imperfections, God, even in our weaknesses, even in our sin, even in our inconsistency, even in our comparison, are comparing to others and, and not being as great gratitude and as thankful as we should. God, even in all of that, you are faithful. And we thank you today, Lord, that even though our family is imperfect, our foundation is. God, you are faithful. And Lord, we praise you today for that. I thank you today that in this room, Lord, there's representatives and stories and lives all over this room, God, of what it means and what it looks like for generation after generation to build on the solid rock. 
I thank you for families that are in this room that they're starting right now with their family tree to build on that foundation. And Lord, today we understand our family's not perfect. But God, you are. And we choose to build our foundation and our lives on you. And we thank you for it. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Before you guys sing that, I want to invite anybody this morning for prayer. You got a situation in your family today that you would like for us to remember in prayer today. We're going to come together and and lay hands on people this morning and and pray for, for specific things. This is a very broad altar call this morning. But if you have something going on in your family today, something going on in your life today that you would like for us to pray with you about as the body, I want to invite you to come right now and we're going to pray with you. Come on. Who needs prayer today? Come on. Who else needs prayer today? There's more than one. Who else needs prayer today? Whose family needs prayer today? Who needs to offer up a situation today to the Lord? Come on. Come on. Who else needs prayer today? Y'all will all take, y'all just all step this way. Come on. Anybody else need prayer today? Everybody just kind of step to your right. Who else needs prayer today? Come on. church family let's be the body let's get behind our brothers and sisters come on come on let's be the body let's get behind these folks and I'm gonna I'm gonna get in front of them and pray with them this morning and I want you to be praying for them as we pray together and as we do I want us to sing this together today and declare this over our lives today in Jesus name let's pray Christ is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand With everything around me shaking I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through generations Faithful through every 
Strong on you. Oh, I'm gonna make. 
rock on which I stay when everything around me shaking. Oh, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So you 
We are so thankful today that we know, Lord, that no matter the situation that we face in this life, all the variety of things we prayed about here this morning and the things that are, that are going on, God, that we know that you're a good God and you're a faithful God. And as we just sang and as we've heard today, you're not going to fail us. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for that today. We pray that this word that we've heard today in song and through the scripture, God, would live in us, God. Help us to know, Jesus, that even though our families aren't perfect, that our foundation is. And Lord, help us to live and walk on that foundation, trusting you and seeing your hand at work in everything. We love you, God. And we thank you, God. Go with us and bless us. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in worship today. Love you. Have a great afternoon. Hope to see you back tonight at 6 for our church business meeting.